Melissa, if you can repeat 11 to 13 with dramatic In inflections. Okay, I'll do my best. Um, in him also you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body uh, sorry, uh, by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the circumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. All right, I'm going to pray. God, as we address today's topic, I pray for you to guard our hearts and our minds. I pray for your Holy Spirit to bring conviction where it is necessary, but also to guard our hearts and mind against condemnation and against offense and confusion. Give us clarity and give us wisdom in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um... The part I'm going to zoom in on is basically verse 11. Um, here, Paul is making an analogy between circumcision of the body and then basically circumcision of your spirit, right? There's a, there's a, um, there's a, the physical sense of it. And we all know what that one is. And then there's the spiritual one where he's saying that when you undergo this spiritual circumcision, you are cutting off, as he says, the body of the sins of the flesh. So you're cutting off of sin, right? And last week we spoke about um, how to admonish or reprove or rebuke a brother who is sinning. Um, we mentioned when and how that should happen. We mentioned briefly how we ourselves need to be correctable. So we need to receive that from other people. Um, we also mentioned that um, if you teach someone, they're more likely to be able to identify sin in their own lives. And therefore will probably be less likely to be in need of you having to come to them and correct them. Um, so that was a motivation for us to teach other people. But I was thinking about it as I read verse 11. And I was thinking how basically last week's lesson is pointless unless you know what sin is. So that's going to be today's topic. What is sin? Um... Once again, controversial, as with almost every single topic we've covered this semester. So I feel it's fitting to carry on in the spirit of controversial topics. Um, <coughs> I specifically prayed in my prayer, and I hope all of us will take this to heart, that we're going to be reading through a lot of sin and discussing a lot of sin. And I promise you that every single person in this group including myself is guilty of i'm not even going to say one because if you're only guilty of one you are 
saint. <laughs> I mean, I'd be surprised if we're not each guilty of at least 30 of the sins that we're going to go through. Um, some of them are, are going to be things that you might go, oh yeah, you know, that that's, she's right about that. That is a sin and I should stop. There might be things that we read and it might elicit feelings of anger or offense or hurt. Uh, you might feel that no one has the right to tell you that that thing is wrong. And I would encourage you to think back to when we discussed in semester one, if you were here, the difference between condemnation and conviction. And a quick recap for those who weren't here. Condemnation is what you feel um, when Satan is bringing an accusation against you. So the thoughts will be accusatory. They will bring feelings of guilt to you um, and probably elicit a lot of anger and offense in your heart. So if we mention a sin and you know you're guilty of it, if you start to feel angry or if you feel condemnation, like I'm such a terrible Christian, um, I'll never be good enough, um, wow, I'm literally guilty of 50 of the things she just mentioned, I guess I'm not saved, I may as well just give up. Those types of thoughts are not from God and they're not even from you. They're from the enemy and that's called condemnation. However, I do want us all to be open to conviction, which is from the Holy Spirit. And this is when you feel a nudging in your heart to let you know that something that you've done is wrong, is sinful, and that you need to change it. So there will be a sense maybe of a light guilt, a regret that you feel, um, a sadness, but it won't be overwhelming. It will feel like or sound like, Drew, you know you're guilty after, I'm just giving an example. <laughs> Your eyes are so big. <laughs> um, it, it might sound like, Drew, uh, this thing that's just been mentioned, you know that this is something you struggle with and I want to bring this to your attention. You know you shouldn't really be doing this. You know, this is wrong. Let's work on it. It'll be a, a comforting, encouraging, light rebuke. It's not going to make you feel overwhelmed, guilty, or make you feel like giving up. Now, please note that in both circumstances, the probability is high that a real sin is being addressed. So I may say a sin that you're guilty of and condemnation from the enemy may come into your mind. That doesn't mean that the sin is not a sin in your life that needs to be addressed. What I want you to be aware of is not to let the enemy make you feel so terrible about yourself or in the opposite way, make you angry and reject what's being said to the point where you're like, I'm not going to stop that. I don't agree with that. That's not sin. I don't think I need to change. Beware of those kind of mindsets and attitude, but be aware that in both circumstances, the sin could be equally real, no matter the response that comes in your, in your head or your emotions. Um, so, you know, know, I love maths and stats. So I was making a list of sins last night and 
Can anyone guess? Obviously, it's interpretive, but let's just say I found a very extensive list on the internet, which helped a lot in preparation for this. Can anyone guess a number of how many sins are listed in scripture? And I don't mean repeated. I don't mean like stealing, stealing, stealing. I mean like stealing is counted once. Like how many different types of sins are listed? If, if you are in the ballpark of 50, I will owe you a chocolate. Or if you don't like chocolate, whatever is your health snack of choice, whatever health bar, prune, jelly, whatever. <laughs> you can't lose, guys. You can get free food. Take a guess. Come on. 250. All right. Any takers, higher or lower than that? Uh, 80. All right. Yes. Anyone else going to try? Sorry? 120. 120, all right. 300. 300. Anyone else want to try? All right. No one gets anything. <laughs> 667. Yeah. Do you feel like a failure now? Because I did. When I saw that, I'm like, I'm not even aware of like, I don't think I can name 50 cents. Okay, maybe I can name 50. But I definitely couldn't name 100, let alone 667. Um, most of these shocking facts come from the New Testament. Oh my gosh. Um, I realized that because, um, I started paying attention to the verses after I saw the number of sins that were listed, because when I used to do my Jewish studies a few years ago, um, they have, uh, 613 commandments in the law that you have to obey. So not necessarily a sin, just like a commandment. So a commandment can be like a priest has to wear an ephod or whatever, right? Um, but I was thinking, whoa, 613 commandments in the law, but 667 sins. And then I was looking at which ones were New Testament. Um, and I was just like, whoa, that, that's intense. Um, we will not be covering all 667 tonight because we don't have enough time. Um, also, some of the ones on the list, I was like, yeah, that's interpretive. But um, what we will be doing is going through at least 1100, 1100, 111, 1100. Sorry, I had to change to American talk because I used to say uh, 1,100 and then here I have to say 1,100. So now when I have to read hundreds, it confuses my brain. <laughs> anyway, okay. So I'm going to break these down into categories as well. I've made these categories up just to like kind of group them and to make them easier to process. Uh, also keep in mind that many of these sins can be in multiple categories. Um, I also will not be elaborating on every single sin. 
Um, some I will be because I feel it's necessary or interesting. Um, some we will be reading verses for, uh, and many we won't. Um, and what I'm going to do though is that, and I'm going to have to ask someone to help me, but it has to be someone that like pays attention to the screen and other people. So Alyssa, do you check out other people? <laughs> do, do you like scan the crowd while we're, while, while I'm speaking? Or do you just stare at my face? <laughs> All right. So then I'm going to ask you for help. Um, if, if I'm going through a sin and you would like to, not you, anyone would like to pause and discuss it or doesn't understand why that's a sin or would like scriptural reference that I haven't mentioned for it. I want you to, Put your hand up, and then Alyssa, if you see a hand go up, just like scream at me to stop and pause, because I might I might not see it. Um, so first, what we're gonna do is we're gonna read a lot of scripture, because you know how I love to make you guys do that, because scripture is the most important thing you will ever read in your whole life, because it's the only source of truth. Um, we're gonna read a bunch of scripture, and then the reason I'm doing that is because we're not gonna read a scripture for every sin. But a lot of these will be mentioned, so I feel like if we just read a bunch of scripture at the beginning, you'll remember, oh yeah, that was in the Bible, because Andrew's not making it up. Um, so we'll do that, and then we'll start to, to list them out. So I'm going to assign scriptures. Um, Jermichael, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9 to 10. You got it? Uh, Alyssa... Romans 1, verse 29 to 31. Uh, Deanna, Mark 7, verse 21 to 22. Helene, Revelation 21, verse 8. Um, Troy, can you read as well, or are you guys sharing? Uh, Galatians 5, verse 19 to 21. Eric, Luke 16, verse 18. Heather, can you read? 2 Corinthians 12, verse 20. Jordan, can you read or are you still walking? I'm still walking. Can you Google? Uh, uh, what's the scripture supposed to be? Proverbs 29, verse 22. Tell me if you can't get it, all right? Um, all right, you said 29, 22? Yeah. Okay. And then, all right, we'll come back for the rest. Let's start. To Michael, go. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9 to 10. Do you not know that the unrighteousness will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. 
neither fornicators, nor adulterers, nor idolaters, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. All right, Alyssa, Romans 1, verse 29 to 31. Oh, my bad. I'm in the wrong chapter. <laughs> it's all right. Uh, in the meantime, Jermichael, your next one is Isaiah 47, verse 13 to 14. <clears throat> 1, 29 to 31? Yeah. They were filled with the with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, <coughs> faithless, heartless, ruthless. Okay, Mark seven twenty one to 22. It is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. Um, Alyssa, your next one is Ephesians 4, verse 31. And Deanna, your next one is Luke 21, 34. Michael, you need yours again? Yes. Isaiah 47, verse 13 to 14. Okay, Helene, Revelations 21, 8. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and grace which is the second day. Okay, Troy, Galatians 5, 19 to 21. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lewdness, adultery, I mean, adultery, sorcery, hatred, contentiousness, jealousness, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, reveries, and the like of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. All right, Troy, um, your next verse, Colossians 3, verse 5 to 6. Drew, can you read a verse? Jude 1, verse 16. All right, two has Luke 16, 18. Eric, okay. You're mute. Yeah, I know. Um, just 18? Yeah. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And he who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. I didn't know that was the marriage divorce one, so that was not any kind of 
of a hint or anything. You said Luke 16, 18. Right? Yeah, that, that was the right verse. I just didn't okay. realize I was assigning that one to you. <laughs> All right, Heather, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 20. For I am afraid that when I come, I may not find you as I want you to be, and you may not find me as you want me to be. I fear that they may be, there may be discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, selfish ambition, slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorder. Thanks. Proverbs twenty nine twenty two, Jordan, did you manage to get that? Yes, hold on, I have to unmute myself. An angry person starts fights, a hot-tempered person commits all kinds of sin. Okay, Isaiah 47, verse 13 to 14. of your counsels let now the astrologers the stargazers and the monthly prognosticators stand up and save you from what shall come upon you behold they shall be as stubble the fire shall burn them they shall not deliver themselves from the power of the flame they shall not be a coal to be worn by nor a fire to sit before okay Ephesians 4 31 let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Luke twenty one thirty four. Be careful, or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life, and that day will close on close on you suddenly like a trap. Jude one sixteen. These are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lusts. And they mouth great swelling sword of words, flattering people to gain advantage. Colossians 3, 5-6 Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanliness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. Thank you. Are you guys ready? <laughs> oh, I had to rewrite it twice because it was so messy. I couldn't read the first list I made. Okay. The first and longest section I'm calling Action Sins. All right. So here we go. Alyssa, Remember to shout if anyone wants to discuss something. Um, the first one, the first sin under action sins is causing others to sin based on Matthew 18 verse 6, which speaks about causing um, a younger Christian in their faith to stumble. So if you cause someone else to sin, it is also a sin to you. Unrighteously judging others. Note, unrighteously judging others. There is a righteous judgment and an unrighteous judgment. We're called to judge the actions of fellow believers, and we can judge sin. We're not called to judge 
the hearts of people. We cannot read their intentions or what's inside. Only God can do that, but we can judge actions. Um, giving and accepting a bribe. Not attending church based on Hebrews 10 verse 25. Sorry, Hebrews 10 25, which says do not neglect the gathering of the saints as is the habit of some. All right. Wives not submitting to husbands. Husbands not loving their wives as Christ loved the church. Not paying debts. Disobeying parents. Dishonoring parents. Here's an interesting one. Looking at evil based on Psalms 101 verse 3. Even just laying your eyes upon something evil intentionally is considered a sin. Makes you want to reconsider maybe some of the things that you watch on TV. Fearing men. Here's another interesting one. Foolishness is considered a sin. I am not sure how God judges foolishness and when he determines if something is foolish or not, but... In the scriptures we were reading, foolishness is listed with those, like along with murders and all that other stuff. So God probably takes it really seriously. Um, so don't be foolish. <laughs> Next sin, giving something to be seen by men. So this is when you either give something in front of people to make yourself look good or you do a good deed, but you make sure everyone hears about it. That's sin. Uh, not helping the poor is listed as sin. Not providing for your immediate family. This means your wife and your children. It's not extended to the whole world. Just your immediate family. Your spouse and your children. Being selfish. Adding to or taking away from God's word. I was about to make a Bible translation comment, but I won't. <laughs> All right. Strife. Revelings. Now, I think I have a definition for that. Some of these are a little bit confusing. So, revelings is wild parties that can, but don't have to, include orgies. So, revelings are counted as sinful. Immodesty which can be in speech or in dress or in actions. Disorder, confusion, and tumult. Now, confusion, not as in, I'm confused, I don't know what to do, but this is as a group. When a large group causes disorder, chaos, confusion, that's sinful. Murder, malice. Malice is... Intending to do harm. Malignity. This is another one I didn't know the meaning of. Malignity means um, evil, depra depravity, or badness. So it's like malice, but like on steroids. Insolent or insolence. Uh, I wrote down a definition for this one too. Insolence is to be rude or have a lack of respect. 
heresies. So if you speak heresies, which is false doctrine, false religion, falsehoods, anything to do with religious beliefs that is inaccurate, it's sinful. Lasciviousness. Uh, a lot of you read this and got tongue-tied, so did I, which is why I wrote out how to pronounce it in my book. <laughs> um, this means excessive indulgence in sensual pleasures. Stealing, being drunk is a sin. Extortion, gluttony. That's one that no one ever speaks about. I don't think I've ever heard a pastor ever speak on gluttony, but gluttony is a sin. I'm guilty of that one. I don't know. I like binge eat all the nice things, even if I'm not hungry. That's gluttony. It's a sin. Greediness. Here's another controversial one. Robbing God by not tithing, based on Malachi 3. Refusing and or despising instruction. So when someone tries to teach you or instruct you, you refuse to listen to them or you despise that instruction. Obviously, this doesn't mean everything that anyone tells you, you need to listen to. But you need to have an attitude of being teachable and humble and correctable. Laziness is a sin. Showing partiality. That means when you treat one person differently than another based on something about that person. So one person is clean and the other is dirty. Therefore, you let him sit on your couch and the other one sit on the floor. Or... One person is rich and the other is poor. And so you invite them to your son's birthday party because you want to schmooze them. When you treat people differently based on something that they can't control is showing partiality. Disobeying the law of the land. So the rules that are set up by the government, if you disobey them, that is sin. The only exception is if the laws of the land contradict what's in scripture if you did um that secret church six to eight hour mega bible study that happened a few weeks ago this was one of the things that was spoken about um the only time you don't obey the law of the land is when it contradicts the word of god god's law always supersedes men's law but otherwise if it's not contradicting god's law we're to obey it Alright, that's action sins. Next one is verbal sins. Quarreling. Blasphemy. Anyone need a definition of blasphemy? Gossip. Being a busybody, which is someone who meddles. Let's actually read this. Uh, who's got a Bible? Super close. Eric. Uh, 1 Timothy... 5, verse 13. 1 Timothy 5, 13. Besides that, they learn to be idlers going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies says what they should not. 
like the lady from the Anne series. So, meddling unnecessarily in other people's business, sin. Gossiping, sin. Uh, this is something that I feel like we don't really take seriously. Um, so we don't think gossip is that bad of a sin. But if your intention is to bring harm or to make someone look bad with the words you're speaking, that's gossip. Gossip is not reaching out for help about a situation. So uh, if Eric and I have a fight, we have safe people who are people that we know if we speak to, they're not going to think, oh, Eric is such a terrible person. How could he have done that or said that to you? They are strong believers who, if we speak to them, they can give godly wisdom and advice. And if by accident we do gossip, they can cut that off and say, this is not how you're supposed to be speaking about your husband. Um, but if I call up every single girlfriend on my phone and tell them what Eric did to me, that's gossip. They don't all need to know, but that to not gossip doesn't mean you don't reach out to anyone ever. And like, you can't say anything that's happening to you. It's what is your intention? If my intention, when I pick up the phone, even to that one safe person is to make Eric look bad, I should wait until I have a different frame of mind. But if my intention is we're struggling with something, I really need wisdom or help or prayer. And I don't know how to process this by myself that's okay to reach out with 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 that mindset all right here's one that most of us don't consider sin grumbling and complaining which i'm guilty of it's the sin i chose to focus on this year and have been failing dismally at uh i heard this saying in a sermon i listened to and it like really hit my heart and it uh, the preacher said, complaining is to Satan what worship is to God. And I was like, that's deep. <laughs> All right. Next verbal sin. Not bridling your tongue. Based on James 1 verse 26. So not controlling your words. If you can't control what you say, if you're always just blabbing off, it doesn't even necessarily have to be that you're saying bad things. If you just can't control your tongue, you always got to talk all the time. Talk, 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 sin. Again, me. Um, here's another one that many people are guilty of, um, but they don't consider it sin. Maybe a little controversial. Speaking evil of dignitaries and rulers. We're commanded not to speak evil of rulers which includes local rulers it includes spiritual rulers so the pastors of your church the elders in your church it includes your mayor it includes your governor it includes your president if they rule over you yes to michael what does speaking you look like all right so if you're just being malicious and speaking negatively that's evil. If you have a problem with something they're doing and you want to point that out as a sin, that's fine. If you go ahead and say, let's say Jamichael's president, right? If I go and say, J 
Jermichael is useless. He's the worst president I've ever had. Did you hear what he did? He did this and this and this and this and this. I don't think that decision was wise. He's stupid. Oh my gosh, that one is better than him. That's just, there's nothing productive in that. That doesn't mean that you don't have to admit anything that they do wrong ever, right? But when you're saying those things, is it in a productive way? Are you at a forum where things can change and you say, I don't agree with this thing in the government. I would like to advocate for change. That's okay. You don't have to agree with everything that the government says. You don't have to agree with everything your president or your pastor says. But what is your attitude towards that person? You can disagree with someone without bashing them, without bringing them down, without spe speaking negatively about them. I don't agree when Jamichael, as my president, did ABC. It's very different to saying he's a stupid, useless president. You know what I'm saying? So that's a controversial one because people get very passionate about politics. But as a Christian, we're not allowed to speak evil of any person who's a ruler over us. If that bothers you, I want to remind you that this instruction was given to a people who at that point in time lived under a government that oppressed them and practically enslaved them. Didn't exactly enslave them, but they were subject to their rule. A few years later, these same people were being imprisoned, beaten, killed, crucified for their faith. And those same people were instructed not to speak evil of their leaders. If you're supposed to be respectful of your leader when he's killing your fellow Christians, you can be respectful of leaders in your local government, your local church, and your country. Doesn't mean you agree with them. Just be respectful, be loving, be kind. Um, also keep in mind scriptures that speak about this mention that there is no authority on earth that is not given by God. Even evil rulers, their authority is given by God. Scripture itself gives the example of Pharaoh when he oppressed the Israelites, right? 400 years of slavery. But the Bible says that God on purpose used Pharaoh, even though he was doing evil and enslaving the Israelites and treating them badly. God still says that he gave Pharaoh authority. That authority was from him. When Jesus was taken in front of um, Pontius Pilate before his crucifixion, Pontius Pilate said to him, don't you know that I have the authority to set you free? And, and Jesus said to him, the authority that you have was given to you from heaven. It's not your own. So, and Pontius Pilate wasn't a Christian. He was part of the Roman Empire. But all authority is designated by God, even if it's evil. All right. Uh, next verbal sin. You know, I have a section for controversial sins. And as I'm reading this, I'm like, there's probably a lot more I should have put in that other section. <laughs> but, you know, you don't realize that as you're writing it, what can come across as controversial. Um, next one. Filthy conversation. Foolish talking and coarse jesting. Let's read those scriptures. Uh, Jermichael, can you get Colossians 3 verse 8? 
And Alyssa, can you get Ephesians 5 verse 4? Whenever you're ready. Either or. But now you are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Right, so filthy conversation, foolish talking, and crude jesting. Sexual joking, crude jesting, is sinful. It's not supposed to come out of a Christian's mouth at all. Um, next verbal sin. This is an interesting one again that no one really takes heed of. Uh, boasting in arrogance. This means when you say that you will do something or go somewhere or achieve something, but you don't take God into consideration in that moment. You don't say, well, if this is what God wants or if this is his will or if it pleases him. Uh, we're going to read that verse as well because that might sound strange. Um, Helene, can you read? I see you disappeared, so I don't know if I should not ask you. Troy, you want to read? Yeah, she's reading the dogs. Okay. Uh, can you read uh, James 4, verse 13 to 16? Listen very carefully to the way this is worded. Re read it slowly. James 4, verse 13 to 16. Not that slow. <laughs> uh, 13 to 16. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live to do this or that. But... Now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So, sounds extreme, but he's saying all such boasting is evil. So, that doesn't mean you can't have desires or plans, but submit those to God. You know? If someone says, what do you want to, where do you want to be five years time? Say what you want to, what, what you want to achieve, where you want to be, but say, if that's what God wants. You know? Insert into your conversation if that's God's will, if that's what he wants. But I'll do what he, whatever Jesus tells me to. Stuff like that. Get in that, in that type of mindset. Because if you have that in your conversation, you're going to remember that in actual life. When you're trying to make a decision, when you're trying to make a plan. Oh, I should consult God first. What does he want? What is his plan? It's not about you anymore. You, you have to keep, uh, keep him in mind. Um, my 
the 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 master of ceremonies at my wedding he has he takes this super super seriously and i'm trying to remember the abbreviation now but whatever um if the lord wills is in latin he like took the abbreviation for it let's just say it's a l w or whatever um, and then every time he like sends you a text message where he's declaring something, I will do this or whatever, he ends with a L W. And if he speaks a L W, like, and if you don't know what it means, you just think he's being random, which I don't know if it's beneficial, if no one knows it's what you're saying, but he just takes it super seriously. So he has to put that abbreviation with everything. Um, right. The next one. Uh, we're not going to read it, but it's based on Romans 3 verse 14 is cursing. Now, because uh, we're talking about the Bible, you might, your first thing might be like some kind of curse, right? But in the context of the verse, it's speaking about verbal things that you do, like expressions. Also, let's go back to right? Technically, that's what all cursing is, right? Whether you're saying, I curse you that you'll never have children, right? <laughs> or you're saying, if you, you are cursing this someone, you're speaking something negative over them. So all cursing is evil, all right? Scoffing. Uh, that's the kind of person who just kind of doubts everything, but in it's obviously in a in a spiritual sense. So when you hear the things of God, you whatever. That's you, or I don't agree with that, or everything that you hear, you have this attitude of well, whatever. I doubt that. Um, lying or deceiving. People who know me know I feel very passionate about this one, because lying is not just saying an untruth it's leading someone to believe an untruth which is where deceiving comes in these two words are different there's places in scripture where lying is mentioned as a sin and there are places where deceiving is mentioned as a sin lying is obvious lying is telling an untruth deceiving is leading someone to believe something that's not true the example i always give people is if someone asks me um like let's say i i hate Alyssa right? And someone comes to me and they're like, hey, what do you, do, what do you think of Alyssa? Do you like Alyssa? And I say, why wouldn't I like her? I'm deceiving that person because even though my words aren't lying, I am leading that person to believe that I don't have a problem with her by formulating my words very carefully to lead them to a different conclusion. So I'm deceiving them, which is a sin. Next verbal sin, not keeping promises and oaths. Being a whisperer or a slanderer. So I looked that up, even though it seems obvious, it's a bit weird. So a whisperer in scripture is knowingly spreading false statements. Um, and then a slanderer uh, or a backbiter, as some translations say, is when you're doing the same thing, but you're doing it more publicly. Um, 
So whisperer is someone who will spread those things behind someone's back, but a backbiter will say it publicly. Um, next verbal sin. Saying that you don't sin is a sin. Uh, reviling, which is a reviler is someone who mocks someone to condemn them or curse them or falsely accuse them or to speak abusively to them. And the last verbal sin, an interesting one, forbidding to speak in tongues, listed in 1 Corinthians. All right, next category. Anyone feeling really holy and righteous right now? <laughs> um, next category, sins against God. First one, tempting God. So, tempting or testing. With the exception of Malachi 3, which is the only time we're allowed to do that to God. But this is trying God out. Well, he says this, so... Let me do this on purpose just to see if he really will keep his word. Uh, Jesus was tested in the wilderness to do this to God. Satan would come with the scripture and say, well, you know, God says do this, but will he? So why don't you fulfill the scripture for me just to see if God really will keep his promises. And Jesus said, uh, it is written, thou shalt not test the Lord thy God. So you don't test him. You don't tempt him. That doesn't mean you can't claim his promises over your life. This is in a sense of like, you're asking God to prove himself to you. Like he owes you something. It's not in a sense of my God is a good God. He promised me that I wouldn't lack food. So I'm going to trust him that food is going to come somewhere this month. That's different. That Your attitude is different. In that sense, you're already believing God. You know he's going to do it. You're not asking him to achieve something. And then the evil one is God should prove to you that he is who he says he is. Um, next one. Putting the cares of this world above the cares of God. Based on Luke 8 verse 14 and Mark 4 verse 19. We're not going to read it. Um... Next one we are going to read because it's an interesting one. Mm, Helene. 1 Corinthians 11. Verse 28 to 30. The next sin is taking communion in a dishonorable manner. 11. Verse 28 to 30. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. This is why many among you are weak and sick a number of you have fallen asleep. So, is that the end? Oh, is it 31 as well? No, no, no. Sorry. I thought you were saying something else. Um, so, Paul is, is giving a warning here and he is saying, before you take communion, you need to make sure that you don't have any sin in your life, like that you know about that's active sin. 
And he's saying that there are people in this congregation in Corinth that are taking the Lord's Supper with sin in their lives and also in a dishonorable manner. So in, in their instance, like they were coming hungry and like eating the bread and the wine because they were hungry, right? Some of them were drinking so much of the wine they were getting drunk. Um, and so that in combination with not examining themselves for sin before partaking of it, many of the people in the congregation were getting sick. And he was saying they're getting sick because of what they're doing. Um, he also said, and because of this, um, many of you sleep, which is a euphemism for many of you died. Like that's how serious this was that to take the Lord's Supper in a dishonorable manner, God was killing people because of it. I was going to try and give a euphemism for that, but yeah. Um, next one. Yeah, yeah. Um, so my brother-in-law and my sister are Catholic, and um, I've been to church with them a couple times, and they, for the longest time, they had a kid before they got married, so they were living in sin because they were um, adultery. I don't know how you would say that, but um, uh, so they would skip out on communion because at the Catholic Mass, they do communion every Sunday. And they would walk up and they would just like take the blessing, but they wouldn't eat the bread um, or take like the, the wafer. Um, and they would don't do the wine every week or I think the uh, priest only does it. But I would watch them go do it because I wouldn't get up and go do it because I wasn't Catholic and I didn't understand like, is this more disrespectful because I'm not Catholic and I go up and do it or is, I don't understand the dynamic behind it. Um, but in like our church, like whenever we do communion, like they just give the little cup to everybody and you take it. And I've been to Baptist churches and they just give the cup to everybody. And, but I feel like in Catholic churches, like obviously like not every Catholic takes it as serious as like that. But my, my sister and my brother-in-law, I felt like they were doing the right thing and they felt like they couldn't take it because they had a kid and they weren't married. They're not married, but I still don't even think they actually take communion. But like, you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. And I mean, I, I, I think they did the right thing. Um, Eric knows that I myself, there's been times in my life where I know I've been like struggling with the sin and I haven't like, it was like really dark places in my life where I was, sorry, what? I'm sorry. Like our church doesn't do it every Sunday. They do it like every yeah, yeah. like once in a while. I don't even know what like the, the rotation is. Mm-hmm. So, like, at that point, like, obviously, like, they just give you a little cup, you take it. Like, I, I, like, since I had been to Catholic Church before and, like, I'm sitting there and I'll, like, have a little cup, like, I'll feel bad about it because I'm, like, I know that this is wrong. But, like, what are your thoughts about that whenever we're, like, like in church and whatever we get communion? So, as a church, especially the way modern church is, it's kind of hard to control that in that most pastors don't know what's going on in the lives of every single member in the congregation. Um, I personally think it should be taught that, you know, this is a sacred thing. It's one only for believers. If you are not a believer and you're just visiting the church, you shouldn't partake. And then two, there, that verse from Corinthians should be read as a warning that, you know, this is a holy thing, right? This is a sacred thing and don't take this in a, in a dishonorable manner. 
Um, now, if someone still goes up and does it after that warning, that's on them. You know, like that's not something that the church can control. Um, I do wish that, you know, pastors would say that. I think that they're maybe scared that they scare everyone away from taking it. Um, but here's the thing is, you guys now know it. So for you personally, you can then judge yourself every time there's communion and say, do I have sin that I know is active in my life? If you repent of it right then and there, go ahead and take communion. If you know you're not showing true repentance, as, as what I was saying is, in those dark times in my life, there was literally a sin that I didn't want to repent of because I felt like, and it was a lie from the enemy, but I was like, well, if I repent, I'm just going to do it again. So I shouldn't even repent, blah, blah, blah. And I knew I was in this like dark space of just continuing the sin. And so I refused to take communion. Like even though I went to church, I wouldn't take it because I was like, until I've sorted this out, I'm not taking communion. So for you personally, now that you know, keep that in mind. Um, usually when I'm in church, every time there is communion, I will do a prayer and I will say, Holy Spirit, is there any sin in my life that I need to be aware of? Please bring it to my attention in this moment. Um, and if I don't hear anything, then you're fine. Go ahead and, and, and take it. Does that answer? I think it's possible. And uh, on a side note that scripturally though, communion actually should be taken every time you're together with believers. So technically we should even take it every time we come to Bible study together. Like that's the, the most biblical version of it is every time you gather together in his name, you should be taking it. But again, for a lot of churches, that's added expenses and added admin and stuff like that. So, and time in their service that they take up. So a lot of them don't do that. All right. Um, sins against God continued. Knowing God's will, but not doing it. Not giving God the glory. Not loving him with all of your heart, soul, and mind. Um, and then the next one is an interesting one. Based on Acts 7 verse 51. Is resisting the Holy Spirit. So if ever the Holy Spirit's trying to tell you something. Or work in you or through you. Or maybe even through another person. And you reject that. You're resisting the Holy Spirit. That's a sin. Um, next category. Unfor unforgivable sins. There's only one. In the whole of scripture. And that's blaspheming the Holy Spirit. It's the only thing listed in scripture that's unforgivable. Jesus himself says it. Uh. He says, if you blaspheme, blaspheme the Son of God, that can be forgiven you. But if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, that shall not be forgiven you. Uh, there's a lot of theological debate on what that actually means. What is it to blaspheme the Holy Spirit? Um, I don't know if we'll ever 100% know. But most theologians say that based on the context of the scripture... It would seem that blaspheming the Holy Spirit is when you call the works of the Holy Spirit the works of the devil. So when you see something the Holy Spirit is doing and you're like, that's satanic, that's demonic, that's of the devil. Knowingly. 
like if you know better like if you're like in the world occultic and whatever you might get a pause on this one but like as a believer if you or at least a person who knows the gospel has to see that and then call that the work of the devil um theologians believe that's the unforgivable sin and uh also just to put in context what had just happened in that scripture was that i think jesus was casting out a demon and a pharisee said that um he does he casts out demons by the power of beelzebub which is the chief of all demons and then that's when jesus responded with that which is why theologians say they think it's calling the works of the holy spirit the works of the devil um which leads us to a very interesting category occultic sin um sorcery is the first one second astrology uh now for a lot of these sins you're probably gonna go i don't do that maybe you don't maybe you do zodiac stuff is astrology it's got to do with foretelling future events based on star alignments so if you follow zodiac stuff i'm just putting it out there i didn't write the bible i just read it um act 16 verse 16 the next sin fortune telling again you might say well i don't do fortune telling but anything that apparently tells you what's going to happen counts as fortune telling. So it can be anything from as simple as, um, not, not as simple as complex as like going for tarot card reading or crystal balls or anything like that. Or it could be simply like, I know there's this uh, numerology stuff too. Like what do the numbers say this week? And Anything that's telling you your future that isn't the word of God or prophecy from a spiritual believer is fortune telling. Um, next one, witchcraft. Anyone guilty of witchcraft? <laughs> you might be. Let's read a scripture. Uh, Troy. 1 Samuel 15 verse 23. This one's a shocker. <laughs> First Samuel 15, verse 23. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness as, is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. So, read that first line again, just the first part. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Scripture, yeah, that's fine, just that part. Scripture equates rebellion with witchcraft. That's intense. If you've ever had rebellion in your heart, against anything or anyone yeah i've been guilty of that one too so don't feel bad we're ex-occultists together um next one 
based on Acts 19, verse 19. Let's read that one. Uh, Drew, can you get Acts 19, verse 19? Next one is the practice of magic and occultic objects, owning occultic objects. Whenever you're ready. Yeah, uh, also, many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted up the value of them, and it totally, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. Okay. So once these people in Acts got saved, they brought all their magic books, um, and they burnt them. Uh Today, there's still many occultic objects. Some of them are obvious and some are not so obvious. Um, there's a lot of books you can buy on like cleaning out your house of occultic objects. So if that's something you feel the Holy Spirit pressing on your heart, I would look into it. I can tell you story after story after story of occultic objects both in my house or my parents house or in uh people i've discipled houses and how it's affect them versus um like how it the the change after that thing was destroyed thrown away burnt um obvious things would be like ouija boards or tarot cards or anything that's obviously like a an occultic thing but it can also be very subtly occultic. It could be anything that was dedicated to um, another god or another religion. Um, sometimes it can honestly be like some of the simplest stuff. This might sound, <laughs> yeah, this might sound insane, but uh, one time a poster in my room was an occultic object. I won't say what it was a poster of, because I don't want to debate. Um, but I thought it was fine. And I had it in my room. And I kept getting like nightmares. And I didn't live at home a lot. Because I was in boarding school. So when I would come home. For like holidays and stuff. That these nightmares started. And it was a new-ish poster. Um, one thing you should no note. Is that occultic objects. Don't always affect you immediately. And not always obviously. Um, sometimes it's a subtle thing, like sometimes you'll be fighting with your spouse the whole time and for you it's just we're going through a phase. Meanwhile, there's a thing that's been in your house for three years but only in the last year did Satan decide, okay, well, I'm going to use that as the right to um, wreak havoc in their marriage. But anyway, so this poster, I had it for a little while and uh, nothing had been a problem. But I came home for a holiday or something and I kept having bad, 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 terrifying nightmares. And it felt really stupid to admit, but like when I prayed about it and stuff, every time I looked at that poster, the eyes of the person on the poster, they looked so evil. And I'd never noticed it before. And I felt like they were looking at me. And I know that sounds so stupid. So I didn't tell anyone what I thought. Because I'm like, this is ridiculous. I've had this thing in my room for so long. Um, but the nightmares continued. And eventually, uh, at some point, my mom came in my room uh, a few days later. And I told her, man, you know, I'm, I'm having such bad dreams. And I don't really know what it's from. But it's, it's really bothering me. And I can't figure it out. And she's like, 
can I say something really weird? It's like, yeah. She goes, there's something about the eyes on that poster. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> and she bought me the poster. And that poster had been in the room forever. But there was something about it. We burnt it. I was fine. Um, and you might say, oh, that's nothing. So then now I'll give you a more extreme example. <laughs> I'll tell you what, Diana, I'll text you afterwards and tell you. Um, <laughs> I went on a, yes? Uh, I like Disney, right? And I like the little mermaid and I have this little mermaid statue thing that my mom got me. It's like a little decorative piece. Technically, is that an occultic? Uh, you have to pray about that. Like, if something is not obviously occultic, you have to pray about it and ask the Lord to, to show it to you. Like, unless I was in your house and then was like, oh, I feel something weird from that thing. But I can't just offhand just be like, yeah, it is. I'm already paranoid, so. <laughs> it's gonna, I think it's fine. It's a mythical thing, but, you know, I don't believe in it. Not like, you know. Well, I didn't believe in my poster either, so. Right, okay, vampires. <laughs> um, anyway, so I do want to give you the second example. Um, we went on a mission trip to the middle of nowhere, and we were told to bring with the bare minimum because we're driving for like 25 hours, and we had to fit in, obviously, food and equipment and stuff for this mission trip. Um, and a church we were building, like a tent church, so we needed to like pack tiny bags. And um, we started working with the locals and people started getting saved, but this was a area that was, uh, had never heard about Jesus before. So it was very, uh, had a lot of ancestral worship and witchcraft and stuff like that. And um, a few nights into the mission trip, I started to have extremely vivid, um, like sexual dreams, but not in any way good, like deeply, deeply disturbing the type that you don't want to tell anyone else you're having because it's just so bad that it embarrasses you so much. Uh, so I, I was not telling anyone for a few days and they continued every single night which was very disturbing as a missionary going to this place to have these kind of dreams every single night. And eventually, I don't know if it was me or someone else, but one person, one girl, said to someone else that they were having these dreams. And then that girl was like, I'm also having that dream. And then they went to the third girl and they said the same thing. And she was like, I'm also having that dream. And one by one, all the girls got together and all of us, Every single woman on the mission team was having these same dreams. So we knew it was demonic. And we got together. Um, we told the guys they needed to like leave us alone because we needed like time to get together and pray. So we formed a circle and we uh, said, okay, guys, we need to figure out what is causing this. Because Satan can only do something this intense if he has a right to do it okay so we're going to pray to the lord and we're going to ask him why this is happening so we closed our eyes and we started praying and 
this was an example of like Holy Spirit led prayer because the things I asked didn't even make sense why I was asking. But I, I asked God and I said, Lord, why are only the girls being attacked? And I heard him say fertility. I was like, okay. And then for some reason, again, Holy Spirit led, I don't know why, but I asked him, what is a symbol of fertility? And I heard him say hippo, like hippopotamus. And you know that moment where you're like, I don't know if I heard from Jesus, like this is random. But after that, I didn't hear anything more. So I was like, okay, I know this is gonna be embarrassing and sound random, but I have to ask. So I like lifted my hair, head from the prayer and I said, guys, I know this is gonna sound stupid or crazy, but does anyone have like a hippo or something with hippos on, like a skirt with hippo pictures or just anything hippo-like? And one girl's eyes went like big and she started looking awkward and she's like, uh, on the way here when we stopped at, uh, we made a stop in another country on the way to this other country. She's like, when we stopped there, I bought like a tiny statue of a hippo from one of the like locals that were selling things. Um, but I, I hid it because she admitted that she hid it because like our pastor warned us not to buy things in that area because most of them dedicate them to like water spirits and stuff like that. Um, and she's like, but it's just a hippo, you know, it's like, it's not even one of their gods. And um, we're like, we got to burn it. And she's like, can't I just bury it like outside the camp and then unbury it when we go home? We're like, aren't you having the dreams too, girl? She's like, yeah. I'm like, do you really want to take that home? Uh, I guess not. So we burnt it and everything left after that. None of us had those dreams again. So that's just two. I could go on the entire night about occultic objects. Uh, if we ever do a spiritual warfare series, I'll go into it in depth, but keep that in mind. All right, next one. Uh, is similar objects or depictions of other gods or religions? Uh, someone read, uh, Alyssa, Deuteronomy 7, verse 25 to 26. So this kind of also counts as occultic objects, but specifically ones that are depictions of anything to do with another religion. So a Buddha statue or uh, the yin-yang symbol, or uh, I know this is going to be controversial, the peace sign. Um, if you don't believe me, Google it. I'm not going to argue about it. Um, yeah, read that for us. Deuteronomy 7, verse 25 to 26. The carved gods you shall burn with fire. You shall not convert the silver or gold that is on them, or take it for yourselves, lest you be enslaved by it, for it is an abomination of the Lord your God. And you shall not bring an abominable thing into your house and become devoted to destruction like it. You shall utterly detest and abhor it, for it is devoted to destruction. All right. Okay, next one. Studying the occult. Pretty obvious. Uh, and then the last one for occultic sin idolatry. Now again, many of you might go, well, I don't worship idols, but Troy, I don't know if you still have it open, but again, in 1 Samuel 15 verse 23, if you can read it again, 
just after it says uh, rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, right after that, what does it say? First Samuel fifteen twenty-three. Twenty-three. Yeah. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Yeah. Stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. If you're stubborn, it's the same as idolatry. It's pretty intense then you might also be committing obvious idolatry. Idolatry is when you worship anything other than God. You might go, well, I don't worship other gods. I don't worship statues. But if you put anything in front of God, if anything is more valuable to you than God or more important, if anything takes up um, more time than God, more of your thoughts than God, that thing is an idol. And you are guilty of idolatry. Next section. I'm going to go through this one reasonably fast. Emotional sins. First one. Unjustified anger. Not being loving. Despising the government. Despising authority. So any authority. Despising correction. Wrath. Not hating evil. Not fearing God, hating God, hating one another, pride, envy, fear, ruthlessness, bitterness, and being ungrateful or unthankful. Next section, sexual sin, adultery, that's when you are married and you have any type of sexual interaction with anyone who's not your spouse, rape, incest, fornication. Now, that might sound like a fancy word, so I thought we'd go into it. <clears throat> um, fornication comes from the Greek word porneo, which is where we get the word porn from. Fornication is all consensual sexual intercourse between two people who are not married to each other. It is a larger heading and other sexual sin can fall under it. So adultery can be fornication, homosexuality can be fornication, sex with animals can be fornication. So it's consensual, but it's outside of a marriage relationship. Um, pornography, it's a sexual sin. Homosexuality, is a sexual sin and then sexual immorality sexual immorality covers again it's a broad heading but i would say just like inside fornication you would find adultery and homosexuality um, sexual immorality is the broad over one so fornication is inside sexual immorality but sexual immorality covers not just sexual intercourse, but anything that is sexual that's outside of marriage. So oral sex, lust, 
anything that falls in that category is sexual immorality. Um, next category, sinful thoughts. Thinking evil in your heart. Trusting in riches and not God. Trusting in man and not God. Trusting in your own ways and not God. Vanity. Coveting. Coveting is when you deeply desire something that doesn't belong to you. It belongs to someone else. Um, lust of the flesh and lust of the eyes. I'm going to explain those to you. Lust of the eyes is when we cast our eyes upon something with desire or pleasure. So when you're looking at something and you deeply desire it, um, or it brings you pleasure to look upon it, but in an evil way. Lust of the flesh is any sinful activity which will bring pleasure to the body. And then the last section is controversial sin. I only have three because I don't want to have a debate. These I don't want to like, I don't want to talk about because I don't want to talk for an hour on one thing. Um... I know that for some people, some of these things are not sinful, but I'm going to put it out there that theologically, they're deemed sin. <clears throat> if you don't want to believe me on that, that's okay. But at least take it to God and take the scripture and figure it out between you and him. First one is abortion. The reason theologians say that abortion is sin is based primarily on Jeremiah 1, verse 4 to 5, which is where God is speaking to Jeremiah the prophet, and he says that before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. So not while he was being formed, not at the moment of conception, even before that. So the argument is that a human life begins at that moment of conception, and God already had a plan and destiny for that person. They weren't not human yet. They weren't human at a certain point. If God had already planned out Jeremiah's life before he was even conceived, that means that every single conception to God is valuable and is a human life. That's the theological standpoint on it. Uh, second one. Here's an interesting one for you. Consuming blood. Uh, Acts 15, 29. Christians should not consume blood. How you like your steak? <laughs> Interesting though, I stopped uh, eating my steak medium rare after I got convicted about this. But then I read an article that said, like if you have your steak medium rare, the, the red is not actually blood. It's some kind of chemical, water, water, water. Anyway, Figure it out. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Um, and then the last one is keeping the Sabbath. Many people don't think that not keeping the Sabbath is a sin. But it's one of the Ten Commandments. There's no other of the Ten Commandments that you'd be like, oh, that's not a sin. So why are you excluding one of them, right? Um, also, order in Scripture is very important. Every time something is listed in scripture, it's always ordered as the most important thing first. Uh, if it's speaking about people, it'll usually tell you who was born first 
or who had uh, who took the birthright or the the blessing. Like so, when we say uh, Peter and Andrew, it's most likely that Peter was first born, which is why he's being named first. Stuff like that. So keeping the Sabbath is, if I'm remembering correctly, the fourth commandment. So it's high up. It's higher than murder. It's higher than stealing. Now, we're not supposed to be religious Pharisees about it. So if you need to do something good on Sabbath, do it, right? If you're hungry and you forgot to make food on the Sabbath, don't go hungry, right? But God made the Sabbath for man because he knows we need to rest. So pray about that. Think about that. God wants you to take one day of rest a week. doesn't necessarily have to be a Sunday. I don't think God is legalistic about that. I just believe he wants you to take one day a week where you relax. And of all the sins, like, come on, guys, can't you obey the commandment that says, hey, do nothing for a day, right? I mean, come on. All right. So that covers, like... I got to say that. <laughs> what? I've had, I've had performances on, on all 24 hours of every day there is. <laughs> Got to find a break, Troy. Otherwise, you're going to go insane one day. Like, it takes a toll on you. You need to rest. You definitely need to rest. Your body can only handle so much. Your mind can only handle so much. Your marriage can only handle so much. Resting is important. So, I can also tell you a, a lot of stories about when you pick to rest on the Sabbath, like the blessing that comes from that. Um, but anyway, we won't go into it. So basically, those are all like obvious sins, right? They're explicitly commanded in scripture, either do this thing or don't do this thing. But they're also not obvious sins. Um, in previous semesters, we've spoken about the sin of commission and the sin of omission. So sin of commission is when you um, do something wrong, right? And those are obvious things. Sins of omission are not so obvious. Sins of omission are when you don't do the right thing. Okay? Which leads us to a whole nother section called not obvious sins. Um, Eric. Can you get ready Matthew 25, 42 to 43? All right. I'm going to read to you James 4, verse 17. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. It's getting even more intense, guys. The list keeps getting longer. Now it's not just not doing certain things. Now it's if you know to do something good and you don't do it, that's a sin too. That covers a lot of things. Um... Another example of this would be, um, or another, another example of a uh, sin of omission is when you keep quiet, when someone is asking for the truth. You might say, oh, I'm not lying if I keep quiet. But if you're not speaking out, then you are doing something evil. Um, Eric Reed, please. Matthew 25, 42 to 43. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. 
I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. I was naked, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. So, not doing all those things can also be counted as sin, because it's knowing to do something good, but we didn't do it. Um, next, I have a question, and anyone can answer. Is it possible for something to be a sin for one person, but not for another person? Yes or no? Yes. Jordan, why do you say yes? Uh, because I think about um, something as simple as something to be an idol for somebody's heart, but not an idol for somebody else. So I think of it in that sense. That's a good point. I don't have that on my list, but that's a good point. Uh, the answer is yes, it can be. I have uh, three sections that fall under that of when something can be a sin to one person but not to another. The first is vows. If you make a vow to God or to someone else, it doesn't matter what that vow is, right? It could be something random that in essence isn't sinful. If you say, Lord, I vow to you not to eat meat for a year. Eating meat is not a sin. But if you break that vow, it is a sin. Now, if Alyssa eats meat, it's not a sin to her, but it would be a sin to me if I made a vow that I wouldn't. Uh, the second section is personal convictions. There are certain things that God might convict one person about and not another. And then if that person violates that, it's a sin to them. For example, there was a season in my life where God told me I was not allowed to touch men at all. No high fives, no handshakes, no sitting in a cramped car, nothing. Now, any girl who high fived someone else was not sinning. But if I had done that, it was a sin for me because God had explicitly told me not to do that. Um, for some people, uh, God has told them that they shouldn't drink alcohol again. That could either be just for a spiritual purpose or it could be that they have a history with alcohol and they struggle with it, right? And so if they drink, it's a sin to them. But to another person, simply just having some wine with dinner is not in essence a sin, okay? Um, some people are asked to give up certain earthly pleasures, uh, worldly music, or some people are told that they should never get married, right? God says, stay single your whole life. It's not that getting married is a sin. It's that that person, their calling and their destiny is to stay single. If they then violate that and get married, what they did was sinful. Even though God can redeem it, in essence, it was still a sin. The third section is conscience. This is a very interesting one. If your conscience tells you that something is wrong, even if all the other Christians around you say it's right, and then you go against your conscience. <laughs> Sorry, I just see my cat's tail. Um, it is sin to you. And we're going to read this because I find this very interesting. Uh, it's in Corinthians, which is my book of the year. It's the book that I'm studying for the year, 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 8, verse 9 to 12. 
But beware lest somehow this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to those who are weak. For if someone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols? And because of your knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. But when you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. And then I'm going to jump up to verse 4 to 7. Therefore, concerning the eating of things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is no other God but one. And he elaborates, I'm going to skip down. Um, However, there is not in everyone that knowledge. For some, with consciousness of the idol, until now, eat it as a thing offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. So in this context, they're speaking about food offered to idols, which might not be applicable right now, but the concept is still there. The concept is that if you cause someone else to do something that violates their conscience, it is a sin both to you and to that person. Okay. Um, if that's not clear in Romans 14, verse 21, it says, also a very interesting verse, listen to this. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because he does not eat from faith. For whatever is not from faith is sin. Anything that you do that's not from faith is sin. So listen to your conscience. If your conscience tells you not to do something, don't do it. Um, uh, Jamichael, can you get First John five sixteen to 17? So we're continuing with not obvious sins, um, which I have to mention the next passage, even though it's really confusing. First John five sixteen to seventeen says, "If anyone's brother sinning, then which does not lead to death, he will ask, and he will give him life for those who commit sin, not leading to death. There is sin leading to death." I do not say that he should pray about that. All righteousness is all unrighteousness is sin, and there is sin not leading to death. That is a very confusing scripture for me personally, because he's saying if you see your brother committing a sin that doesn't lead to death, you can pray for them. But if someone is committing a sin that does lead to death, he doesn't say you should pray for them. And he's like all sin is transgressing the law, is lawlessness, but there are some sins that don't lead to death. What the heck does that mean? Okay. <laughs> so because we're doing sin categories, I had to mention there are sins that lead to death and there are sins that don't lead to death. Now, I tried to look up what theologians say this is because I have my opinion, but that's just my opinion. Um, and honestly, most commentaries have stuff like, this is a deeply disturbing verse. Um, <laughs> and there's, there's not really an overwhelming consensus, but the most common interpretation I found, and the one that personally to me probably makes the most sense, is that 
Um, there are believers who sin. And when they sin, that sin is not leading to death because they are in a mindset of repentance. But there are people that are so depraved, so devoid of God, that their sin is leading to death because they haven't been redeemed from that sin. And so he's saying, don't even pray about that sin. Like they're, they're going their way. But for the brethren, pray for the brethren. If they're sinning, pray for them. Um, I don't know if that's the correct interpretation. I will tell you what my opinion was because it's leading us into, the, into one of the final sections now. But I want to make it very, very clear. It's my opinion. It's my opinion. It's my opinion. It's my opinion. I told you I'd make it very clear if ever I was going to teach you something that was not scriptural and my opinion. So I make it very clear for those of you recording me to put me on YouTube and cut out things and make me a false teacher. This is my opinion. Okay. I'm not giving it yet though. The next set of not so obvious sins is what I call passive sins. I'm not 100% sure if they are sins, but I'd like to pose, <clears throat> sorry, I'd like to pose it to you. So far, we've covered things that are in one way or another condemned in scripture, right? But what if sins aren't just things that are condemned or explain that you should do this or you shouldn't do that. What if sin also includes every time an instruction is given in scripture that we don't follow? And that instruction doesn't have to be in a commandment form, literally just advice in passing. I'll give you some examples so that you can get this where this is going. In Philippians 4 verse 6, it says, be anxious for nothing. So if we are anxious, we're violating that. So does that make it sin? In Hebrews 13 verse 5, it says, be content with such things as ye have. So if we're discontent with what we have, is that sin? What about when it says, be slow to speak? If we're not slow to speak, is that sin? The word tells us to show the fruits of the spirit. If we're not showing the fruits of the spirit, not necessarily that we're showing the opposite, but if we're not exhibiting the fruits of the spirit, is that sin? The word tells us to pray without ceasing. So pray all the time. So if we're not doing that, is that sin? In 1 Timothy 4 verse 13, it says, give attendance to reading. And obviously he's talking about scripture. So if we're not reading the Bible, is that sin? If all these things are sin as well, then we have an even bigger problem. Because now we have way more than 600 and whatever amount it was sins. Because now it's every single time an instruction is given even if it's given as an encouragement, should also be taken that seriously. Now, this is where my opinion comes in. Please, it's my opinion. This, I can't prove this from scripture. Whenever I've read 
1 John 5, 16 to 18 about sins that lead to death and sins that don't lead to death. Until I read what theologians said, this is what I thought. In my mind, what I call passive sins, which are not obeying instructive things, in my mind were sins not leading to death. So if I'm not constantly praying, if I don't consistently read my Bible, if I sometimes am discontent or feel anxious or I'm not always slow to speak, stuff like that, maybe those are sins that don't lead to death because they're more of a, hey, you should do this. It's beneficial for you and helpful and will make you more like Jesus, but you're not the wicked of this world, you know? So that's my opinion. As far as I googled, no theologian agrees with me, which probably means I'm wrong, but that's just my opinion. Um, so, after all of this, it might lead some people to the thing of, or, or the question of, okay, that was a lot of sin, but what is kind of the bare minimum I can achieve or avoid to make sure I just make it into the kingdom of God, right? Because there's no way I'm going to be able to get all 600 slash 1,000, depending, of these sins down, right? If any kind of thought like that has come into your mind, I want to tell you that as a Christian... That's not how we should react. We should not be asking ourselves, what is the bare minimum I can do? Or what is just enough to get into heaven? Or what can I get away with? Or eh, how much of this thing can I do and like still be a Christian and Jesus not hate me? That is not the attitude we should have. And I want to share with you what I call like my taglines from Paul. It's um, something Paul says. He mentions it four times in two different places. And it's my like go-to line when I'm trying to determine if I should or shouldn't do something and it's not explicitly listed out in scripture. Um, 1 Corinthians 6 verse 12. All things are lawful for me but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. And again in 1 Corinthians 10, 23, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful and not all things edify. Um, some translations say it like this, and usually, usually this is what I quote, all things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. I love that. That is my go-to. I can't tell you how many arguments I've won just with those lines. Because people, I can be debating with friends about anything. And they'll come with all the theological reasons why they can justify the thing that they're doing or not doing. Because it's not explicitly listed out in scripture. And then I'll just come in there and I'm like, yeah, 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 I agree with you. It's permissible, but is it beneficial? Does it edify? Does it build up? Um, 
and that usually stops people on their tracks because that's the thing is we're not supposed to stop at permissible. We're not supposed to just say, oh, well, I just have to do this. I just have to get this right. It's supposed to be, I have to do the thing that brings the most glory to God that makes me the most like Jesus. Um, don't just do the things which are permissible. Do the things that'll lead more people to Christ. Do the things that'll cause less stumbling in, in new believers or, or immature Christians. Um, do things that will glorify God. Do things that will make you more like Christ. That is how a Christian should live. Um, I believe that if we asked ourselves those questions, with just those two verses, we would be able to solve a lot of the internal conflict that we have about whether we should or shouldn't do something. Um, so that's all on sin. No more talking about that. Uh, a brief side note on how to identify sin, because you're not going to remember everything we just read, right? So two things. One, obviously, read your Bible. Like, you're only going to know what's wrong if you read the book that was written about what's wrong, right? Second, be filled with the Holy Spirit and allow Him to convict you of sin. Ask Him if there's sin in your life. Let Him convict you and repent. Um, so, I don't know if any of you feel like I felt when I finished writing out all these sins. But it was a little overwhelming, especially because I had to read through the 600 and something, right? And it honestly, you know, it can get to a point where you're just like, how the heck am I ever gonna get there? Like, I couldn't even accomplish the sins I could think up if someone had to ask me right now, list, list sins. Now I have all these other sins that I didn't even think about or realize. And how am I supposed to achieve like master's level Christianity when I'm sitting here struggling at like high school level? Um, and I want to say to you that if you're feeling anything like that, that's good. You know why? Because the law was written for this very purpose. The law was written so that we, one, would know what sin is, and two, would understand that we are incapable of keeping the whole law. Back when there was only 613 commandments in the Old Testament that the Jews had to obey, God was putting it there to be like, guys, Seriously, you can't do 613 and never make a mistake. You will fail. He wanted human beings to get to a point where they saw that they of themselves could not achieve sinlessness. They couldn't. And that's why we give our lives to Christ. And then we die. Dying is the only thing you can do to stop sinning. Everything else is Christ in you. If you die and you let Christ live through you, He 
will accomplish all 600 and something to 1,190 million sins that are listed in scripture and instructions and oh maybe this is a sin but not a sin is this instruction oh is this a passive sin you don't have to sit and think about is this wrong or is this right if you die and let christ live through you every day if you get up and you say god today i die it's not me who lives it's you who lives through me do what you want let me think your thoughts let me speak your words. Let me do your deeds. Let your Holy Spirit lead every single second of this day. If Jesus is living through you, you don't have to worry about the sin because Jesus won't be sinning. The only time we sin is when we let our flesh take over. When we kind of like, as Eric was saying, being a zombie, you kind of rose from the dead for a second. You were dead and then you're like, sinful nature. And then you did something wrong. If you had constantly just let Christ live through you consistently, you would not have sinned. So every time you have a sin problem, know that you don't have a problem with sin. You have a problem with you not dying. All you have to do is die every day and let him live through you. And he will accomplish and perfect and fulfill the whole law and everything that's above and beyond the law. So I wanted to encourage you with that. I know that this is a little heavy and overwhelming and can make you feel like an absolute failure. But don't feel like that. Christ is able to accomplish all of this in and through you. And whether you've been a Christian for 10 years or 10 seconds, take a deep breath and know that this is not something that's going to happen like this. You will learn to die more successfully as time goes by. And the more you die, the more he will live through you. And the more you will start to look like him. Because it will just be him that's left. Um, so don't let the devil come and condemn you. And also don't use this as an excuse to sin. Don't go, oh my word, well I'm so evil. I may as well just be evil continually. Um, Strive to be like Christ, let him live through you, and everything will be fine.